Welcome to the latest episode of the X-Files Retrospective Podcast, released through Bureau 42. I'm your host, Blaine Dowler. This week we're talking about Endgame. Now, this originally aired on February 17th, 1995, one week after Colony, which was the first part. It also had an IMDb user score of 8.8 out of 10, and the action is primarily split between Alaska and Maryland. This episode was the first one scripted by Frank Spotnitz, although the previous part was based, at least in part, on his pitch for this one. It was also directed by Rob Bowman. Now, we talked a little bit about how Frank Spotnitz got involved. One of the comments he made afterwards was that there was no tolerance for screwing up, no matter what your experience was like. At the time, Chris Carter hired him and offered him a position after meeting in a reading club. Spotnitz had absolutely no TV experience of any kind. and he said there was no slack given for that lack of experience, although he definitely did rise to the challenge. We're going to be hearing his name quite a bit over the next few years. And they paired him with experienced director Rob Bowman. Now, this is pretty dialogue-heavy for a Bowman script, but it still works out very well, and this is an episode that establishes a lot of major plot points. I didn't get a lot into the plot last time because I didn't want to spoil the second part in case people are following along an episode of time for the first time. But this introduces a number of things. It introduces the female clones in addition to the male clones we saw last time. And these female clones may or may not be based directly on Samantha. We see that Mulder's dad is pretty cold both in seeing Samantha come back and in finding out that she's been lost again. So the question is, is he really that cold? Or did he know that this wasn't really his daughter all along? And that's a question that's been debated for a while that we actually will get something of an answer to down the road. We also get some great scenes with X. So in one of them, Mulder interrupts him at the opera and asks him, well, how is the opera? To which X responds, it's wonderful. I've never slept better, which is a little more of that wry humor that the series is known for. I don't know if that was something Chris Carter put in after the fact or if that's something Spotnets had a feel for right from day one. We also get some great scenes where X meets with other characters. When Mulder has disappeared to pursue his personal quest, Scully uses the X on the window to summon X, who refuses to work with her, and leaves. And this is after Scully has already asked Skinner to help find Mulder through unofficial channels. X goes down. The way it was scripted, the elevator doors open on another floor. Skinner's standing there saying, did you give her what she needs? And then from there, it was supposed to cut back to Skinner coming into Mulder's apartment. But Stephen Williams and Mitch Pileggi had other ideas, and they talked the crew into going with them. So they actually have a pretty knockdown, dragout fight in the elevator. Actually, the set made up to look like an elevator it was actually very difficult to shoot because when you get these two big guys who are really going at it and slamming each other in the walls, and I mean really going at it, Stephen Williams actually broke one of his knuckles hitting Mitch Pileggi. They had crew members standing outside the sets pushing the walls back in to prop them up and keep them from shaking because these guys really were slamming each other around. In any event, after that, Skinner gets Scully all the information she needs. This episode also establishes the proper numbering of Mulder's apartment. Up to this point, he's just been in number four. We see here he's actually in apartment 42, and the two had fallen off the door. And that was a deliberate reference to Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy. We also learn quite a bit more about the aliens themselves. For one thing, we learn that there appears to be a virus that's part of their physiology. And it's this retrovirus that makes their blood toxic to humans, but apparently it's not toxic to them. So this virus is inherent in them, and that's something we're going to be seeing a lot more of down the road. We also find out that there are multiple factions of aliens. Some of them are using alien-human hybrids implying to colonize Earth and possibly even just lend in with the indigenous population. There are others who are opposed to this idea and think it's diluting the species. And those are the ones who sent out the bounty hunter to stop them. 
So we're also seeing consistency in the way these hybrids have been handled going back to the Erlenmeyer flask. We also find out that the bounty hunter can shapeshift, but he appears to be the only one. Otherwise, we'd probably see some of these others. You know, They know they're being hunted. They know they're all identical. So you'd think that when they would go on the run, they would change face if they could to avoid being spotted by anyone but the bounty hunter. Apparently, the aliens have some other level of perception so they can spot each other no matter what their outward appearances are, but we don't see that in this one. We also see some nice twists and turns between Mulder and Scully. Again, Mulder is saying this is my personal quest, and he's trying to cut Scully out of it so that she doesn't come in and take some of the risks. And we do get a great monologue with Scully after she saves him, as we kind of figured she would, between seeing the teaser in the previous episode and the discovery here that cold inhibits the retrovirus, or at least the way it behaves in humans. So Scully has been confronted with things that she can't explain, but she gets this great monologue at the end where she not only says that, yeah, there are things here that she cannot explain with current science, but she's still putting her faith in science and saying, just because we can't understand it now, it doesn't mean we can't use science to understand it later. It's not phrased very succinctly at this point, but we will get that as one of my favorite all-time quotes of any series coming up in a later season. So this is the episode that really kicks the mythology into high gear. This is the season where it's really starting to come together. And this is part of what made the fans really take notice. So we were talking all through the first season about how the industry insiders were recognizing X-Files and saw this is something special, this is going to be big. It's starting to be part of the public consciousness. And that's actually what's going to lead to a number of special episode podcasts coming up down the road. It's getting to the point now where other series are making jokes about Mulder and Scully and the X-Files, including the catchphrases of trust no one, the truth is out there. A lot of that is starting to build and starting to show up in other shows. And a lot of that is because of how effectively they are spending their money. I mean, they are cutting the budgets as much as they can, but they still have pretty elaborate sets. And this one ends with the conning tower from a submarine lowering down through the ice. Now, there's one good shot from a distance of that conning tower coming down, and there's a number of close-ups. That one good shot in the distance shows the entire extent of how far they can move their fake conning tower, which is probably just a couple of feet. Everything else that they have, all the inserts that are designed to make it look like it's really coming down, are just close-ups of different parts in motion with backgrounds out of focus or shot from below, so you can't see it's coming up. So they have this thing going up and down repeatedly to get all these shots and give the impression that it went through a lot more distance than it actually did. It's another way that they can stretch that production dollar as much as possible. So in the end, again, they have nothing really tangible to show, although Mulder does say he now has the faith to keep looking, because he has been convinced that Samantha really is out there somewhere to be found, and she is being used as part of this bigger conspiracy. And we see some of Scully's motivation to keep going. There are things she cannot explain, and that bothers her. So she's going to need to keep delving until she can get explanations for this. So even after her abduction, we see this is important and personal to both of them now, and they're going to keep going. So after this, we're going to take a bit of a break from the mythology for a while, and we're going to start with Fearful Symmetry. So please join us again in two weeks' time for our discussion of that episode. Intro and outro music is Outside Poolside by Laswell, created under the Creative Commons license. All other content copyright 2015, Bureau 42. Please feel free to send any comments or feedback to bureau42podcasts at gmail.com or leave us a review on iTunes or Stitcher. Thank you for listening.